people of the Lord said amen. 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 That is a blessing of the Lord that uh, our worship leader uh, can be away and our praise team just runs off and uh, leads us in uh, just wonderful worship. Thank you all for doing that. Uh, Justin shared with me several, several weeks ago. He said, I think this is what I would like to do with the praise team uh, on the Sunday that I'm gone. And I said, well, go for it. And uh, man, what a what a wonderful way uh, to be able to worship the Lord uh, this morning as uh, just our lay folks lead out and uh, do such a wonderful job. I want to invite you to take your Bibles and turn with me to 1 Peter chapter 2. 1 Peter chapter 2 and find with me verses 11 and 12. 1 Peter chapter 2 verses 11 and 12. And today I want us to begin a new series entitled Sojourners. Sojourners, as a matter of fact, we're going to see that word this morning. Maybe you're reading a translation and it may be stranger or it may be alien or it may be another word that they use other than sojourner or exile. But for our ESV, we're reading sojourners and exiles. And we're going to find out what that is, what does it mean today, and why would I possibly be preaching through First Peter and Second Peter for the next eight weeks, for October and November, Lord willing, if he gives us health and uh, life and strength, why would we give ourselves to the books of First and Second Peter beyond just saying the obvious, which is God's uh, inspired word, and all of it is true, and so we want to learn all of it. But there is another reason that we would do that, and it is that the books of First and Second Peter are immensely missional in their impact. A matter of fact, he approaches, Peter does this subject of us being missionaries or sojourners in this world in two particular ways. He talks about it in our lifestyle being holy, and so we're different because of our lifestyle, and he talks about us being different because of our identity. And so we're going to have an opportunity to unfold that, Lord willing, October and November. And we hope that you'll read along with us through First and Second Peter and that you'll give yourself to the study of these letters. Preacher, haven't you preached through some of this before? Uh, not this uh, sermon series for sure. And never First and Second Peter uh, together. And looking at um, Peter's epistles uh, to these folks, Christians, probably Jews, who have been scattered. Gentiles who have come into the faith, who are being persecuted, and he's writing these letters as a source of 1 Peter of encouragement, 2 Peter a real word of warning to, uh, for the people to guard themselves and protect themselves. And so let's begin reading in verse 11 uh, and verse 12, 1 Peter chapter 2, as we consider uh, sojourners, an identity to embody. Peter writes and he says, Beloved, so this is a very fond word he's, he's writing. He's saying, you are my brothers and sisters in Christ. And he says, Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable. So he's writing to these Jewish believers who are encountering persecution. They're spread out. They're now living amongst Gentiles in a Gentile culture. And he says, keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. What is your identity? How do you identify yourself? I have brought my phone uh, to the pulpit I'm not on social media very much. You guys know that if I hear something about Facebook, it's always something someone tells me. I, I just don't get on Facebook. You say, Preacher, Facebook is such a valuable tool. I sort of liken Facebook to the modern-day party line. When I, moved, when I moved to Edmonton in 1979, we had a party line. I went from Chicago that had cable television to Edmonton that had an antenna and a party line phone. I'd answer the phone. It'd be Aunt Marie. Hey, Randy, can I speak to your mama? Well, yeah, you can speak to my mama. And I'd hear somebody else say, hey, Marie, what are you doing? I mean, 
I'm 15 years old. I'd say, who is this? Get off this line. And here come my mom. Hush, hush. That's our neighbor down the road, you know. And I'm just thinking, where are we living, right? How many of you remember party lines? Do you remember that? I just think Facebook's a big, old-fashioned party line is what I think it is. But I'm all over Twitter. And so I, I watch Twitter. I'm on Twitter. If some of you older folks don't know what Twitter is, you're better off for it. Uh, it's just a place where people have limited amount of characters to quote something, post a picture or whatever, and then people tweet. And so I have, I don't know how many people I follow, and then people follow us. And I just uh, love that there's a place on Twitter, if you click your profile and you read it, people have an identity on there. And so like mine says, follower of Jesus, husband of Tracy, dad of a house full of great boys. I'm not so sure about that. No, I have a house full of great boys and privileged to lead the Calvary Baptist family as pastor. So I've, I've tried to identify myself in that particular profile. How do you identify yourself? How many of you have Twitter accounts? Will you raise your hand high? Hold them, hold them real high. Y'all are like, preacher, you're going to my account. All right, hold them high. Uh, so if I go to your account today, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, what does your profile say? How do you, will you take this from me? Um, thank you, honey. What does your profile say? Does it, how do you identify yourself? Is it by your family? Which certainly that's something that I did. Is it through a relationship with the Lord? It's something that I would have done. Is it by your job? I would have included that in my Twitter profile. Is it by something that you achieved? Is it by some uh, social classification you have, some identity that you have with some other group. Maybe it's Lions Club or Kiwanis or some fraternity or sorority and you got those letters posted up there. Is it maybe by your fanhood? Huh? By your fanhood. I'm a Cubs fan. I'm a Bears fan, Cardinal fans, Yankee fans, whoever you are. I would say in this room probably Wildcat fans. Can I get an Amen. Now people are saying, yeah, yeah, get them Cubs and Cards. Yeah, 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 Wildcat fans. What is your identity? When you lay your head down at night, who are you in Christ? That's a very, very important subject for us to have a clear understanding about because our identity in this world will define what we do in this life. And if you are not squared away about who you are in Christ, what your identity is, you could go through this life living a lot of different identities. I mean, people do that, don't they? You might see this person on a social media platform and you say, that is not that person at all. That, that whole thing that they've got on social media, they are not like that. I see them on Sunday, I see them in the marketplace, I see them in the neighborhood. That person is not like that at all. But you may have this kind of identity in one particular location, this kind of identity in another location. My, my boys have been educating me about this. When we went on vacation in July and we went miniature golfing, I mean, my guys are taking pictures, right? There's, they're posing in these different places and saying, Take a picture. And I says, what is this about all my pictures? And they say, well, I want to get a new profile picture, right? And so when you look at Kerr's profile picture on one of his social media platforms, he's there and he's got this mean scrawl. And I mean, he's, it's just sort of like cold, like, like he's just a stone cold killer or something. It's just like, and we're at a miniature golf place, right? Pirates of the Caribbean or whatever it is. So there's this skull and this bone thing here, and it's a sign that says, Beware of the pirates. And Kerr's got this look on his face like, I'm a pirate, right? And I look at that and I think, That is not your identity at all. You are Kirby. <laughs> you are Kerr, is who you are, right? He's like a, a big teddy bear, right? And so I just think, That's not his identity in the Lord. My brothers and sisters, don't be hoaxed by the pressure of the world to conform to be a person that you're not. 
If you're here today and you are a believer in Christ, let's agree and readily accept the identity that God wants us to embody as sojourners. This letter that Peter writes to the churches of Asia Minor, as I mentioned, are intensely missionary. They teach Christians how to live as foreigners in a strange land. He uses this phrase in verse 11, sojourners and exiles. He did that to instruct his readers residing in a non-Christian Gentile society on how to live in Christian community, how to live in a new community of people who have a different lifestyle than the people who surround them. And so for the next uh, eight weeks, we're just going to look at a couple of ways that he identifies these themes in First and Second Peter. Today and next week, we're going to talk about our identity to embody. Last couple of weeks of October, Lord willing, a lifestyle to embrace. This speaks about our holiness and our conduct. Praise God for rain. It's been a while since we've heard thunder, right? It'll be all right if there's a lot of noise. Hit this metal roof in just a few minutes. A lifestyle to embrace. He, we're going to look at a message. He clearly talks about the authority of God's word and how you and I are to proclaim God's word. And so there is this word of God, this message to proclaim. And then throughout 1 Peter and throughout 2 Peter, you see this enduring word of hope. You're suffering. You're being persecuted. You're living as aliens, but there is great hope in this person of Christ. You can see it. Look with me at 1 Peter and look at chapter 1, verse 3. Just flip over one page if you need to and listen to what he says. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he's caused us to be born again to what? To a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And in the first few verses of 1 Peter, you see this theme of hope, and you see it all the way through the end of his second letter um, that he writes. And so there's this wonderful hope to endure. My brothers and sisters, may we understand our identity in Christ, and may we readily embrace it. Because if you do not embrace the identity that God has for you, one of the things that might happen is that you live a life that looks more like a lost Gentile than it would be a born-again Gentile. And that is really, really important. And so first of all, I want you to write this down. Shannon has it on the screen for us. We are compelled to identify as sojourners and exiles in this world. When he says, beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles. There are Two tremendous words there. He first uses the word beloved, right? This is a term of endearment. He's affectionately writing these Christians who are persecuted and who are scattered, and he wants to remind them who they are as they're scattered. He wants to remind them that God has a plan for them, and so he uses this word urge. It is, I strongly require, I strongly recommend to you to remember who you are in this world. And he says, this is who you are in this world. I urge you as sojourners and exiles. Preacher, I hear that term all the time. A matter of fact, uh, someone said three out of every ten church plants uh, back in the 90s, new church plants, they had the term sojourn in them or sojourners in them. So it's a, it's a term that's come to popularity in our context if you're inside the church. But you may be sitting here today and you may say, tell me again, what does it mean to be a sojourner or an exile in this world? So when Peter uses this phrase, sojourner exile, he's referring to a person who lives a displaced life. He lives a displaced life. It's a life of a refugee or immigrants in this present world. So when uh, some of you want to talk and you say, tell me about what do you think about the border? What do you think about uh, immigrants, aliens, illegals? What do you think about that? I love that because when I give my answer, one of you said, preacher, I can't tell if you're a Republican or a Democrat. 
And do you know what? You do not want to know whether I'm a Republican or a Democrat. You want your pastor to be a born-again gospel preacher. Someone say amen. So here's what my take is on that. We should have strong borders, and we should have strong national security, but we should remember that we have an on, uh, a responsibility from the Lord how we interact with the sojourner, the immigrant, or the alien who is in our country. We have a responsi responsibility to treat them as Christ would treat them as we remember that God is calling us to live as sojourners and exiles in this world in which we live. We're immigrants. Yesterday, I, uh, we're dog-sitting for Caleb and Ruthie, and they have this, it's not a labradoodle, what is it called? Golden doodle. They have this golden doodle. It's like a lion. It's this tall. He's all pup. And I went to the dog park yesterday, and I was going to throw the ball uh, for this dog to get some of this energy out. I was really hoping he would come home and just collapse and, and not need any more attention the rest of the afternoon. So I, I go to Weldon, I take him to this dog park, and I'm throwing this tennis ball, and I'm letting him run all over the place. And as I head back up, after we get the dog some water, and we head back up to where I park, there were three little immigrant children, probably seven, eight years old, maybe nine years old, that were leaning against the car. One was leaning against the tire, sitting in the shade. They were using the vehicle as shade. One was leaning against the driver's side door. One was leaning against the passenger door. And they had just been watching me down there throw this ball to this dog. This dog is smarter than your pastor. I mean, this dog, he'll bring, the, he'll bring that ball right back to you and sit there and like, man, throw it again, throw it again. And so we're walking up there, and I said, hi, guys, how y'all doing? And they said, we're doing really good. said, we've been waiting to see. said, mister, is that a, a what kind of dog a service dog, mister, is that a service dog? <laughs> and I said, well, I think I'm serving him, if that's what you mean. Um, is it a service dog? I said, no, it's just a big family pet. And I put the dog in the thing, and I said, what are you guys doing? And they said, well, we're having a get-together over here at the shelter. And the one little girl said, we saw you playing with that dog, and we just wanted to come over and see that dog up close. And I was afraid to let him pet him. I didn't know what he would do if he'd bite him or whatever. And so we put him in and and went on our way. But right there in Glasgow, here's three children whose parents came here for work. And they're working as immigrants or they're working as aliens. As sojourners and exiles, Calvary Baptists hear the word of the Lord. As sojourners and exiles, we are to live as visitors, as aliens, as non-citizens, as pilgrims, maybe the best destination or designation to help us understand our identity as sojourners is the term temporary residence. When you look at these two words together, that's what it means. We're temporary residents here in this world. In using these words, Peter is helping us identify with God's people down through the centuries. He's helping us, and we're going to see this in greater detail next week, He's helping us realize that we are part of God's people even as the Israelites were part of God's people. He's helping us to realize that we're sojourners or strangers or pilgrims just as Abraham and Moses and Daniel were in their day in the times in which they lived. That God calls us to live displaced lives. And so what does that mean for us today that we are compelled by the word of God to identify as sojourners and exiles in this world. That this identity that we are to embody is to have a very temporal feel. None of us like that. None of us like to be insecure on where we're going to live, where we're going to go, what we're going to do. But I want to say to you, it's the very life that God calls us to live as Christians, that we would be willing to follow the Lord wherever and whenever he leads. And so we should embody our new identity as sojourners, understanding these four implications. I didn't put them on the screen, but I hope that you will write them down. The first implication of this idea that we're compelled to be sojourners and exiles in this world is this. 
This world is not our home. It was never intended to be our home. Could it be that you struggle with the enticements of this world because you treat this world like it's your ultimate home? I was reading a poem this week. I was reading it on Friday morning, and it was just something that I had heard and on TV, and I, I wanted to read it in full to make sure I had the context of it. And it was by an Indian chief who uh, lived in the late 1700s, early 1800s. And I, they, had, they had written it in English where we could understand it. So I was reading that particular poem. And I thought, man, the words of that poem absolutely resonate with me as a believer. Because there's one part in that poem where he says, live in such a way while you're living that you don't have to fear death when you're dying. Live in such a way when you're living that you don't have to fear death when you're dying. Could it be that so many of us are gripped and paralyzed by death because we have made this world and this world system heaven? We've made this the value of our system, of our beliefs, of what we hold true. Oh, my brothers and sisters, that first implication is this world is not our home and it was never intended to be. It leads to the second implication. Because this world is not our home, we should be longing for our far, far better country. Heaven is our home with Christ in his kingdom. Where Christ is in his kingdom, the place that we refer to as heaven, that is our real home. A matter of fact, do you realize that God speaks about those who have trusted Christ as those believers who are already seated with Christ in the heavenlies? So from God's advantage point, you're not dwelling down here, right? He's looking at you through forgiveness. He's looking at you through grace. He doesn't see this sin struggle that you're going through. Uh, Christ died for your sin. If you're a believer, he died for your sin. You've applied that, right? You've called upon Christ. So Christ has atoned or covered your sin. So you're in Christ. And from that point, the Bible says that God looks at you as a citizen of his kingdom. You're no longer a citizen of this world. I am so thankful when I got my citizenship in heaven. Because, man, the world is all that I knew to live for. And when God allowed me to be born again, I just began to realize in a real clear sense from God's word that there is a far, far better country. Calvary Baptist, do you believe that this morning? Do you believe that this world is as good as it gets? Do you believe your family is as good as it gets? Do you believe that what you are currently experiencing, this nesting, this, this idea of homesteaders that we're going to talk about in just a moment, do you believe that that's all that there possibly is? If that's all there possibly is, you will not only fear death, you're going to dread life. Because all life is terminal. I hate going to airports. When you go into an airport, you're just driving. You're not even to the actual airport. You're just getting off, right? The very first word you see is terminal. That's the way I feel when I fly. I just think this could be it. I say to my boys when they're flying somewhere, hey, when you get to the gate, shoot me your flight number. And Caleb's like, they're flying this weekend. And Caleb's like, come on, Dad. The plane's not going to go down. I said, if it does, I want to know if you're on that plane or not. And so give me that flight number, right? I'm not excited about flying around in jets. However, I look forward to a day when Christ does return. And I look forward to a day when those who are dead in Christ are caught up to be with the Lord as he establishes his kingdom, not only in the heavenlies, but also here on earth. I am looking forward to that day. So the second implication is this. Therefore, we should be longing for a far better country, heaven with Christ and his kingdom, apart from our fallen nature and flesh. Here's your third implication about how we are compelled to identify as sojourners and exiles. We should live with shallow roots here. We are not meant to be homesteaders but rather live light, to live light, mobile lights that can follow God at a drop of a hat. 
Can I ask you a question this morning? Are you tempted to live as Tracy and I sometimes? Are you putting down roots? And you're building houses. Preachers, is there anything wrong with building houses? Absolutely not. But you're, you're building houses. You're buying cars. You're just putting down deep roots. This is my home. This is my country. Can I tell you what I've learned to be true about that? 6522 West 63rd Place, Chicago, Illinois, 60638, area code 312-651-5615. Phone number, address, where I was born, where I lived my first 15 years. I moved to 308 Old Glasgow Road, Edmonton, Kentucky. Hello, right? From there we moved to, I didn't move, but my parents moved to Fern Avenue, Edmonton. From there I got married, uh, Tracy and I did, and we moved over on uh, just right off of Scott Drive in Edmonton. And then the Lord led us to a parsonage, uh, 520 Siloam Road, I think was the address, if I'm thinking right, 520 Siloam Road. Lord led us to Lincolnton, North Carolina, Riverview Baptist Church. Are you ready for the name of this community? Right? The town or the community is Lincolnton. The sub-community in which we live was called Laboratory. I felt like I was a living experiment. I really, really did. We moved back here. We lived in a, an apartment. We lived in a rented cabin of John and Melanie Austin. We lived at, uh, on Long Hunters at 135 and then on 137. We had our parents live with us. We've had a whole host of Africans live with us who are all over the place. We had a St. Lucian live with us who now is living on East Washington. Tracy, growing up, um, lived on the Noblick Road, back a country drive. Then she moved to Edmonton, a couple of different homes in Edmonton, to where she finally landed. They did her parents on Scott Drive. Here's what I'm finding to be true about residents. Residents doesn't have to do with where your structure is. Residence has to do with where your heart is. When my mom and dad moved from Old Glasgow Road to Fern Street, it was really odd Tracy and I going there for the first time. We were used to going to this big house on Edmonton Road, and now we were going to a small house that was fixed up on Fern Avenue. And I thought, how will this be? It's just going to be different. And we pulled in and drove down the short drive, not a long drive, but a short drive. We pulled in, and there sat my dad at the same uh, wrought iron table that he had at his other house. He was doing the same thing. He was breaking walnuts up and shelling walnuts. It's like a, some sort of fetish my dad had about these nuts. He was, he was getting them ready, right? And I thought, that, that right there is what makes home, home. We pulled up, my dad broke out with a big smile, and we rolled out of that car. It didn't matter that the house was different, that we were in a different location in a different neighborhood. What made home, home, was where my dad was and where my mom was. Now, my brothers and sisters, this third implication of living with shallow roots were not meant to be homesteaders, but rather live light, mobile life that can follow God at a drop of a hat. You want desperately to teach your children to be like that. And here's why. If God's best for your child is across the state or across the nation or across the ocean. You want your children to follow God and His best for their life no matter where that 
faithful. To be obedient in Christ has far more eternal security than being disobedient to Christ and putting your trust in what you have laid your roots down to be. If you believe that, say amen. And then here's the fourth implication. We have to move on. We should live day to day with a contrite, broken heart for the world as it is. We need to see the world fallen in sin, totally depraved, and not knowing the splendor of Jesus. Do you see that in the people of the world? Do you see that in the lost Gentile or the lost Jew, the lost religious person? Do you see that in the person who has no religious identity whatsoever? Do you see that from every non-Christian? Lostness, brokenness, depravity. As we live as sojourners, as we live as sojourners, we should be able to see and be moved with compassion and a burden for lostness as much as we can identify someone who's new to the community who may be literally an immigrant from a foreign country. Right? So if there was an Indian who had a turban and they were a Hindu and they had a bead planted in their forehead and they were walking around the square going in the subway and you were driving around the square, you would stop and you would say, who is that? What is that person doing? Right? Okay. They don't look like the average Barron County person, right? You'd say, who are they? Wonder where they came from. Wonder what their MO is. My encouragement to you today is you as a believer, we together as the church, should be able to recognize lostness and brokenness more readily than we can identify someone by their physical outward appearance. If you understand what I'm saying, say amen. So number one, we are compelled to identify sojourners and exiles in this world. Number two, sojourners and exiles embody Jesus and his word while avoiding the desires of the flesh. He says in verse 11, that second statement, to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. Flip over with me to chapter 4, 1 Peter chapter 4, and I want you to see the two comparisons of that. What does he mean, Peter, when he says, abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul? Well, he gives us an example in verses 1 through 6 of chapter 4, 1 Peter, when he's given us an example of the life of the world. And then in verses 7 through 11, he says, but you're supposed to be different, and this is what the life of Christ, this is what the Spirit-filled life, this is what a life walking obediently in God's Word looks like. And so he begins in verse 1 through 6, and he says, since therefore Christ suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves with the same way of thinking. For whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. So as to live for the rest of the time in the flesh, no longer for human passions, but for the will of God. For the time that is past suffices for doing what the Gentiles want to do. He's saying, man, as time goes by, this is the Gentile way of life. And he says, living in sensuality, passions, drunkenness, orgies, drinking parties, and lawless idolatry. With respect to this, they are surprised. So the lost world is surprised, watch this, when you do not join them in the same flood of debauchery, and they malign you. But they will give an account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. For this is why the gospel was preached, even to those who are dead, that though judged in the flesh the way people are, they might live in the spirit the way God does. So what is he saying? He's saying, particularly in verses 1 through 5, this is the life of the lost person. This is what it means when he says in verse 11, abstain from the passions of the flesh, here is uh, some, just to name a few, of those things that he's talking about. Drinking parties, adultery, orgies, drunkenness, passion, sensuality. He's saying this is the life that as Christians 
we stay away from, we avoid. And the reason that we do that is because we have a different Lord uh, ruling in our hearts. We have a different message that resonates within us and from out of us. And so what does that life look like? Look at verses 7 through 11. The end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be self-controlled. So here's the life of the believer. Be self-controlled, sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly. Why is that? Because Gentiles do not love each other, right? Gentiles love each other according to the flesh, but not loving each other according to the love of the Lord. And so it says, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling, as each has received a gift, a spiritual gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's very grace. And then he goes in talking about those spiritual gifts in which we've looked at before. So he's, he's contrasting in verses 1 through 6 and verses 7 through 11 the life of the unbeliever or the Gentile versus the life of the believer. And he is saying as sojourners and exiles, we must embody Jesus and his word while avoiding the desires of the flesh. So the implication is we live as Christian warriors or soldiers enduring faithfully fighting for our souls to abstain from the passions of the flesh. Why? Which wage war against your soul. This is very combative language and Peter was making no mistake. What he was saying is the enemy has you in his sights. In uh, 1 Peter chapter 5, I think it is verse 8, he says, I'm going to remind you that he's walking around, right, like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. And so he's wanting us to know and realize as believers that God's called us to a different way of living. How many of you have realized that when God saved you, he's not only called you to himself, but simultaneously he's called you away from a lifestyle of sin and disobedience? How many of you realize that? Don't raise your hand. How many of you are waging that warfare faithfully right now? That when the flesh craves, when the flesh cries, feed me. When the old nature and that old natural man or woman, that old nature of yours and mine, when it starts to cry out, do this, look this way, act this way. How many of you can sense the Lord is leading you to wage war faithfully, trusting in the commander who has gone before us, this mighty warrior Christ who has died for our sins. Sojourners and exiles embody Jesus and his word while avoiding the desires of the flesh. So here is the implication. We not only live as Christian warriors, but we realize if there is not this decreasing of this fleshly appetite and an increasing of a spiritual appetite that we may not be born again at all, right? What does it mean to be born again and have Christ in us, the hope of glory? It means this resurrection power of Christ is at work in us, giving us a hunger and an appetite for Christ and the things of Christ, and he's leading us away from our old nature. That's why Paul says things like, I die daily. I die daily. I've not arrived, I'm not already there, but I'm, I'm learning to live, and I'm learning to live faithfully. So number two, sojourners and exiles embody Jesus and his word while avoiding the desires of the flesh. Well, this will be tested for sure at the first home game of the Barron County Trojans play, whoever we play. And Jacob takes the floor. If I've had one person say, how are you going to do now that you're not coaching Jacob? Coach Brad would let you yell and scream and holler and you would yell out things. They'll arrest you in a public venue and haul you away. How are you going to do, Pastor? And I've been answering and I've been saying, well, number one, I'm thankful God's given me time to adjust. Number two, it's certainly on my prayer list, right? Number three, time will tell. Time will tell. 
I am trusting that Christ in me is going to work out of me so that the law doesn't have to take me away. Right? You say, preacher, were you that bad? No, no, no. But I would get loud. And I would get lively. So we're trusting Jared to do all of that now. Right? Are you dying to your old nature? Preacher, I don't like living in that tension. It's the life of Christ. It's the Christian life. Walking in Christ, dying to self. And then here's the last thing and we'll close. Sojourners and exiles embody honorable lives full of good works and gospel witness. Listen to what he says that sojourners and exiles do. Verse 12, keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds so you're living among them. We as sojourners and exiles are living among them that they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. It is imperative to see that our new identity as alien residents, as temporal residents, that Peter was not saying to us, you should retreat or you should depart or you should form some sort of strategic isolation from society and culture. That is an escapist mentality, not a Christian mentality. Did you hear me? The answer to be living in a Gentile culture is not to escape the culture. It is to shine as light, glorious light that is set on a, that is set on a hill. And we're shining the light upon Christ and his cross and the empty tomb, helping people to understand that life is different as a believer. See, this temporary resident, this pilgrimage, this pilgrimage nature of new Christians did not embrace this idea of I'm going to escape or I'm going to withdraw from culture. Rather, it propelled them into culture as salt and light for the spread of the gospel. At, at Bruce, what are you saying today, Pastor? I'm saying to you, don't quit your job because you're working next to lost people. Don't do that. Let your light shine amongst those lost people. Don't say, I'm going to move. I've got somebody who's, who's living next to me who's struggling with drug addiction and they get wild on the weekends and drink. Don't just move and run away from them. Love them and witness to them in Christ's name, right? You don't have to become like them. And at the same time, you do not have to isolate yourself from them. But we can be next to them, loving them, and letting the light of Jesus shine. If you understand that, say amen. So as sojourners and exiles, we live this honorable life full of good works and gospel witness so that the lost unbeliever can see those good works and notice what it says and glorify God on the day of visitation. That means when God establishes his kingdom here on earth that they will glorify God. When they see God at work within their own hearts and lives prior to him coming to establishing his kingdom they will glorify God knowing that God has acted in grace toward them and they will glorify him. They'll glorify him because the Lord has been merciful and gracious and kind. So would you stand to your feet this morning and think about this last implication of that. As sojourners and exiles, we embody honorable lives full of good works and gospel witness. My brothers and sisters, how do we live, here's the implication, how do we live among the world and not live like the world? How do we do that? How do we live amongst people whose lives are controlled by a nature of sin and disobedience and debauchery? And how are we not 
impacted by that. Greater is he who is in you than he who is in this world. And our minds, watch this, are not given to the ways of the world, but our mind is given to the mind of Christ. Philippians 2. We are constantly not being conformed to this world, but we're being transformed by the renewing of our mind according to the word of God. Oh, dear believer in Jesus, will you leave this place today as a sojourner, as an exile? This person who realizes that the enemy has you in his sights, he would love to surround you with so much lostness and darkness that your life is conformed to the world. And will you stand faithfully, having your mind transformed by the word of God? Will you stand honorably, allowing Christ to produce good works through you that they might glorify God? Will you do that? Today, will you call upon the Holy Spirit and ask the Holy Spirit, Oh God, help me to embody Jesus in his word and not give in and yield to the enticements of the flesh. And will you, will you embrace, will you embrace, will you embody this identity that God has for you and I to embody? Sojourners and pilgrims. I absolutely want to embrace that. Not for sure what that looks like in our heart and life. Does that look like the mission field? Does that look like dying here in Glasgow? Does that look like moving somewhere and taking a different pasture? Does it look like managing Popeye's? What does that look like? Listen to what I'm saying. And I'm kidding about managing Popeye's, right? I'm not taking my hand off the plow. If I did, I would not manage Popeye's. <laughs> what does that look like for you? Preacher, I don't know, and the thought of it's sort of scary. Give your life fresh and new to the Lord and say, Lord Jesus, help me to embody what it means to be a sojourner. In all likelihood, I don't know what the Lord has in store, but we could have kids in Louisville, in Washington, in Jackson, uh, in Tennessee. Don't know where Jake's heading. Don't know what he's doing. We're, we're going to have kids everywhere like some of you. Right? Here's what I can't do. We can't homestead, right? It's going to be impossible to be at all those places at one time. Now, that doesn't mean that Tracy and I have not thought about selling that big house and just getting an RV. She would love for me to be her RV chauffeur and drive her around, right? We got a granddaughter on the way, right? If y'all call me and say, Preacher, can you do lunch? I'll say, I'm in Louisville. Just know, I'm with just little Tracy or whatever they're going to name her, little Ruthie. I'm just, I'm with her. I'm going to figure it out. I'm going to figure out girls. I, I don't know how to do it, but I'm going to figure it out. I know you're ready to leave, but hear your pastor's heart and hear the admonishment of the word of God. Embody that sojourner mentality. Where Christ is, is your real home. Be a faithful pilgrim and follow him. Heavenly Father, thank you for your faithfulness to us. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for how you love us and how you lead us and how you call us with a new identity. Not just a man or a husband or a father or a pastor, but a sojourner. Thank you for those among us who've modeled that sojourning life well. 
who have not hesitated to follow you wherever you would call them and lead them. Lord, will you forgive us when we try to establish our own kingdoms here on earth? For God, the best kingdom that we could design pales in comparison to your eternal kingdom. And God, you're not coming to live in our kingdom. But as citizens of a heavenly country, you have called us to live in your kingdom. What a king we have and what a kingdom is ours. God, may we leave this place today as temporal residents. God, may we seek to keep our roots shallow. May we live honorable lives through good deeds and gospel witness. How many of you today would say, Pastor, I want you to pray for me because God has put his finger on my heart today. And I really need, I really need to embrace, to embody this sojourning mentality. How many of you would say, I heard the Lord speak to my heart today about that. Would you raise your hand high? Yep. God, bring to pass what only you can do. Lord, would you be with those that we have prayed for at the beginning of these services, for the unspoken requests that are here, for our people who are traveling and getting away this week. God, may you draw people unto yourself. And Lord, may we live faithful, obedient lives to you. Is our prayer in Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen. Amen. I want to encourage you to surrender all to the Lord. I want to encourage you as we head out this week, if you've not been to Life Group, we'd love to see you in there. Um, If you're in connection with Calvary, I'll be there, so as soon as y'all can get there, I will be there as soon as I can make my way up there. Uh, Wednesday night, there's no activities. It's fall break, and so uh, a lot of our volunteers are gone, and so we won't have anything, but we'll see the rest of you in Life Group. And then, Lord willing, we'll see you next Sunday. God bless you. Have a great day in the Lord.